This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're back just after the end of United Spurs match that rounded off game week three in FPL, a week in which Alonso took pole position in many manager shopping lists, although Lucas may have got there now as well. Let's talk about that and many other things besides. I'm joined today by not one, but two Nicks. How are we going to disentangle this? I'm not entirely sure. I guess I'll just say WGTA Nick and FFA Nick, or just say, Nick, what do you reckon? And see who responds first. So WGTA Nick, how you doing, mate? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. Uh, had a nice bank holiday, chilled out with the family. Um, yeah, I was feeling, you know, relatively positive about the game week. I had a green arrow up, up until the Manchester United Spurs game. We had no coverage and now that's become a red arrow. So, yeah, not not so great, to be honest. But just just kind of pleased the Spurs won, uh, which uh, the other Knicks actually very unhappy about. So we won't talk about that for too long. But uh, just to say quickly before I pass over to guest Nick, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us online at whogottheassist.com or follow us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL and uh, use Spotify, SoundCloud or whatever you'd like to listen to pods on. So, yeah, we're joined today by Nick from the Fancy Football Analysts. You can find him on Twitter at FFAnalysts underscore Nick. Nick, welcome. Would you kindly introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a bit about you and your relationship with FPL? Hey guys, thanks very much. Uh, I'm Nick, better known in fantasy football terms as FF Analyst underscore Nick, and I'm the co-founder of the Fantasy Football Analyst blog, my partner in crime being at FPL Guidance on Twitter, and he's certainly worth a follow. I've been playing FPL seriously for five seasons, finishing in the top 50k in four of those, my highest finish being 2.3k two years ago. So yeah, thanks very much for having me on the pod, looking forward to getting into it, although I am in a slight state of depression following that last game in the game week. Yeah. Not happy. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not surprised by that. We, we said that your mood is going to be contingent on the outcome here. <laughs> it's, uh, it could yeah, have gone better, yeah. Yeah, it could have gone a little bit better, I'm going to say that for the United fans. But uh, welcome, Nick, and thanks for that. Uh, so on today's poll, we're going to reflect on how to react to what may be the first mediocre scoring weeks our managers have had this season. And uh, using Alonso as our awkward segue example, talk about player ownership and its influence or otherwise on our transfer strategies. Then, of course, to our features, which includes Nick's Speaker Corner, that's guest Nick's Speaker Corner, and then we'll move on to some of your questions. 
Yeah, sounds great, Tom. Shall we start with the game week reviews quickly then? So, Avanik, how was your game week? Well, it sort of spiralled out of control, really, into a bit of a voyage of the damned, to be honest. 47 points all out, and that was nothing added on to that from today because I had no coverage, so it's only got worse. And that was following two 80-pointers in game week one and two. So it's definitely gone downhill, but, you know, the show must go on. It's a long game, and uh, I'm looking to definitely improve that. Made the transfers of Jota and Sanchez to Mane and Mkhitaryan, which on paper was a very, you know, big upgrade. Mm. And so far that hasn't really paid off too much. I mean, it hasn't gone dreadfully, but there's no immediate payback for that. I also decided to take a minus four to get Edison in for De Gea, which might be seen as a slightly strange move, but I thought in the long term, the 0.5 saving and the Hopefully more clean sheets would pay off, but not quite yet. But based on tonight's performance, I don't think I'll be too far wrong with that decision in the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What about you, Nick? How did you do? Uh, yeah, so I was all out for 52, which I guess was about par for the game week. Not not very good at all, really. But um, I think the move that actually really paid off for me was just prior to the deadline. I took a hit and got got rid of Ben Davis, who didn't start. For Alonso, and I also swapped um, Riyad Mahrez for David Silva, and obviously the Alonso decision really worked out for me. But I also brought in Richarlison, who who delivered me a minus two. So so that wasn't that wasn't great. I mean, I think it was one of those game weeks really where everyone got punished a little bit within the community. I mean, firstly I had a sort of Hamer blow with uh, Hamer getting injured in goal. Then Richarlison managed to get himself sent off, and finally. And Altovich injured at 58 minutes. It was, it was a case of another one bites to dust. But returns from Alonso, Robertson, Salah, Captain Cement. I, I somehow did okay-ish, I guess. How about yourself, Tom? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's post wildcard and it's a 53, so uh, it's not amazing. However, in the context of being a bad game week for the majority of people, it's still not amazing because I need to make some headway there. So uh, a little bit annoyed at, um, at how it's turned out, despite the fact that, you know, the, the stars that are Alonso, Robertson and Mendy at the back um, did uh, deliver above appearance, most of our scoring. Um, it got a bit of a boon with uh, Tom Kearney, my last minute 4.9 million additions, my wildcard team to make it all work, uh, nabbing an assist in the Fulham game. But yeah, it was a, uh, you know, brought Richardson in as well, uh, got served with a lovely minus two um, and a few kind of other places, you know, Aubameyang um, and Mkhitaryan failing to failing to return as kind of my two big differentials in some ways and having both in, in of themselves being a differential. Um, so that was a, yeah, a very frustrating uh, overall, overall, though, I think that I'm kind of in, in an okay position. Hopefully, people are wildcarding towards my team if they're wildcarding or making transfers to get to where my team is, which is the kind of whole the whole point sort of thing. I'm just hoping that kind of as the, the weeks progress, I'll be able to catch up with the, the 40 points that I lost with not having Aguero game week two and captaining him. But hey, uh, it's the first week that I think we've had a less than amazing turnout. There's been kind of less chat on Twitter, less people posting their teams saying, what a fantastic week I had, look at me. Um, it's more kind of like 50s, 60s, which which is kind of okay. And that's kind of where we all seem to be sitting at the moment. And I think it's worth early on in the season now we've reached this kind of subpar game week, talking about reactions to it and how you guys react to it and how people generally react to it. Um, you know, I'm seeing a couple of things at the moment. The first is that people are taking hits pretty early on in the game week. You know, people on Saturday and Sunday after Richarlison uh, was out, we're already on the minus four uh, by Saturday night. 
the alternative is wild carding. A few people have, have hit the wild card now um, after perhaps a poor week and perhaps want to make a few changes. And I kind of want to talk through how we, how we respond to a poor game week or a subpar game week and uh, what we think about, you know, wild carding at the moment or, uh, or taking hits. And I think I'll, I'll kind of throw that out to Nick first. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's fine to wildcard, especially if you're looking at a team full of injuries and suspensions. Obviously, I mentioned Anatovic is in my team. He's um, a doubt for next game week. I've also got Richarlison, who's um, who's uh, suspended. So, you know, there could be cause for myself to wildcard. I, I am resisting the urge to wildcard. I'm trying to save it for as long as possible. Um, I'm looking possibly at game week six at the moment, actually, where we see um, like a shift in the Spurs fixtures uh, when they play Brighton, Huddersfield, Cardiff and West Ham. The likes of Everton, Liverpool and City's fixtures also start to stiffen around that time. So for me, I think I want to hold off for as long as possible. I'm, I'm quite happy with my defence. I've got Alonso, Robertson, Mendy all sort of generally delivering points week in, week out. Um, my front line, I'm generally okay with it. And the midfield still needs a bit of work, but um, I don't see I don't see a cause to really sort of rip up my team at the moment. There's not that kind of player who's really, you know, said, look at me, you know, the likes of Kane or someone propping up with a hat-trick. I mean, he got a goal and assist tonight, but he still hasn't offered enough for me to kind of rip my team apart to fit him in and, and say... Um, you know, Mane also scored a brace and I don't own him. I might have had to, you know, pull the trigger and say, right, that's it. I've got to bring in these guys. But for now, for now, I'm kind of thinking, you know, um, I'm going to save the wild card for a few more game weeks. Obviously, Tom, you've used yours already and um, other people who, who might be sort of chasing points this early on, you know, might be tempted as well. But I think um, I can understand why some people are taking hits, um, you know, to catch some of the price rises. I'm, I've made the early move of bringing Walcott in for Richardson to catch a price rise. But if there were other major issues within the team, then I'd be tempted to, um, you know, take another hit or, or even pull the wild card. But I'm, I'm resisting for now. Yeah, I think taking transfers early. I mean, it, this is ourselves under pressure, isn't it? Like you see the prices going up, and you you want to make that move and kind of catch that rise. I suppose in terms of wild carding, though. Know, for me, with Kunaguero, it was one of those players where the ownership was so high and the uh, the fixtures were so good. The two things came together. And I just thought, right, I had to do it because it would have been a minus eight or minus twelve to make it work. And listening, uh, what's your view on this? I know that um, FPL guidance has, has pulled his wild card. What are his reasons for doing that? And what are your views on wild carding at the moment or in response to kind of a subpar game week? Well, personally, I think I'm sitting in a similar position to. WGTA Nick I think I want to try and hold it until there's a point where someone's like as you say again someone's really screaming out to bring you in like I don't want to be using the wild card to move around my budget options because the my strikers didn't score and two other 6.5s did I want to be saving it for a point in time where I want to really restructure the whole side like I know last week you pulled the trigger to get in Aguero because you didn't start with him for me that's the perfect time to do it I, I want to hold it for now. And yeah, my partner in crime, FPL Guidance, has given me a statement. He's He pulled his wild card last night and he said to me... <laughs> Give me a statement. He's given me a statement. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's, he's come out with full reasons why he doesn't want us thinking that he's wasting it. He says, I went into game week three hoping to roll my transfer, but Hamer, Tomkins, Richarlison and Arnautovic all became injured or suspended in the space of 24 hours. I could have waited to see what happened with these guys. 
but even with those unavailabilities aside, I felt I had to address other issues. These being a double Liverpool defence with tricky fixtures ahead, Bernardo Silva being shifted out wide in game week two and three, and having bench options such as Romeo and Yedlin, who he may have been forced to start had he not wildcarded. Another point here is that he also thinks it's crucial to have a strong bench heading into the upcoming game weeks, with cup games seemingly every midweek and the busy Christmas schedule on the horizon, which sees eight game weeks in a month between game week 14 and 21. With a decimated bench, it seemed a good time to remove the deadwood and set up not just a strong 11, but a strong squad for the long term. This is definitely an aggressive wild card, with the aim being to kick on from a good start rather than slide down the rankings due to obvious squad issues. Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense as a reason to respond. I think there's a lot of time as well. If you have had a subpar game week, that the focus is heightened um, on the players who haven't performed, haven't turned it around. Like Nick, you're a little bit different there because you've obviously said, um, you know, you're happy to let these players. Well, not happy as such, but you're going to let these players kind of work themselves out. Uh, whereas with with, uh, with guidance, and it was very similar with me as well, that a few of my players were suboptimal really for what it was looking like it was going to go. I mean, we've had three game weeks. We had two game weeks when I had wild card. It was a little bit earlier than I wanted to. It was a defensive wild card. And it's interesting to hear the case of an offensive wild card there. That certainly makes sense. Yeah, I, th- I think I can understand the logic behind uh, guidance's um, wild card and your wild card as well. I mean, for me, I have played relatively aggressively, more aggressively than I usually play by making some early transfers, uh, taking a hit as well last game week to get Alonso in. I, I'm looking at to, to make even more hits. I might take a hit this game week as well because I'm not doing great and my team does need a little bit of surgery. And that's why I made the early move of Richarlison to Walcott as well because with Richarlison, you know, he was... I wanted to cash in on the 0.1 I made on him, even if he, he returned me minus two points in total. It, it just made sense to me. So I think you can play aggressively and take early hits um, and then save that wild card for later as well. I think it's so dangerous, though, like taking a hit so early. Like you, you basically end up like thinking, I sometimes wish I'd never made the transfer at all because some sort of news emerges, spoke about in our very early kind of unwritten rules pod, which means that, you know, a lot of people are playing a, a pretty dangerous game in the moment. Like I'm keeping it to one one free transfer if I've got to make it or I feel like I should. Like after tonight, a lot of people are thinking, oh, you know, Lucas Mora for, for Richarlison. Well, I couldn't afford, I wouldn't have been able to afford that anyway. So retrospectively, post-rationalising, probably Walcott would have been what I'd done anyway. So I'm glad I've caught the rise there. Um, but I think take, you know, taking hits at the moment, especially like things are kind of still obviously settling. And this week we've had kind of the, the dark side of characters kind of coming into um, do something, whereas the first kind of couple of weeks, the people in the established template were the ones who were performing. Uh, FFA, Nick, what are your views on kind of taking hits? Should we be embracing that or should we, uh, like I've been saying, be a bit more wary about that? I think one thing that I was going to add on reaction to a poor game week is that it is vital just if you've had a bad week, just take a deep breath. It's not the end of the world or doomsday yet. It's been, what, three weeks. We have limited data. We've had three weeks. You've got another. 35, 36 to catch up. And um, I think just stay calm, no rash knee-jerk decisions at the minute. It's important to look at your side that you created a few weeks ago and remember to yourself what the intentions were when you made that side. You will have made those decisions based on some kind of logic. And if you've bought in a player because you thought they'll score well over the next three or four games and they haven't in the first game, they've still got another two or three to repay that. And we need to remember that not everyone is Mohamed Salah. 
and that they don't return every week and they are inevitably going to blank. But it just always feels worse when they do in the same week. And then we think, oh, no, I've got, a, I've got a wild card. I've got a minus eight. I think in this situation, you just have to target your underperformers. For example, if you've got Yotta in there or if you're still holding on to Mares with City, who's not playing. And don't assume that because you've had one bad week that it's time to take a hit. I think at this point, a minus four, if you're not planning to wildcard for a few weeks, is probably justified, especially if you're taking out Richarlison, because we know Richarlison is going to score zero points over the next two weeks. So if you're taking minus four, perhaps to get him out and make another change or s- switch formation, as I'll talk about later with my team, I think that is justified because you, who you're bringing in will at least repay that over two weeks, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, last game week I, I took a minus four and I ended up in the positive because one of my moves was Ben Davis for Alonso and Ben Davis didn't even start the game. I also got rid of Mares, who didn't start the game either. So it was a transfer that paid off. Obviously, even though um, one of my transfers was Richarlison in, which got me minus two, I still ended up in a positive on the hit. So worked out for me. With Richarlison, I've, I've pulled my trigger now. He's dead. He's out my team. Obviously, with the suspension, he was never going to play. I think it is, I think it's tricky um, in terms of other transfers. If it was like a player who just blanked, like you said, I'm, I'd perhaps you know have a little bit more patience with him. But if it's a player that's suspended, I'm not going to. Um, I know some people have, have thought about this, um, sort of having Richarlison sit on the bench for the next couple of game weeks and and playing like the likes of Wan Bissaka instead. For me, that doesn't work. I, I want to, um, you know, I want my strongest eleven possible so I'm going to make the move I'm going to make the transfer and I brought in Walcott who's got Huddersfield and West Ham up next Yeah no it certainly makes sense I guess we can anchor on Richarlison here to move on to our next little point because the reason why Richarlison was brought in by a lot of people were the two performances obviously Uh, loads of people including us noted that he'd scored uh, was it three goals in four shots so unsustainable rate of return however the ownership was the key the ownership was already at 30% and many people were beginning to think, including myself, including Nick, kind of thinking, well, if I don't own this guy and he scores against Bournemouth, then my rankings can get decimated. And the ownership is a very interesting area. Like fat bottom players make the FPL ranks go round because if they score points, so for example, Salah, that drags up so much of the player base and things change. Like we saw tonight with Harry Kane scoring. We saw tonight with uh, Ericsson getting an assist. Little things like that do impact the OR. And uh, talking about ownership and its impacts on your decisions is obviously something that I think is, is really interesting. We do speak about it most weeks in market forces, but it's worth having a section on here in, in of itself. Having a high ownership team isn't necessarily a bad thing, but there's always kind of negotiation ownership and differentials. In terms of performance, I guess in the early days, um, options are limited by the narrow level of data we've got. You know, we've got three data points, as I've said, a trend if we were drawing a trend out of that would be asterisks saying this is below safety levels you can never assert anything from this but we can't watch and wait as managers which means sometimes we need something to help us make a decision and ownership is definitely something that helps us there for example with me having to bring Conaguero in I thought because he was going to be the, probably the second highest owned player and if I was without that I'd be exposing myself to an unnecessary level of risk ownership then, guys, it's quite an interesting question and one which always comes up and drives a lot of the questions that we see. Um, I was speaking to Scott Atrofsky about this and uh, lots of really interesting thoughts there. I was just wondering first in terms of points and ownership um, and so kind of purchasing players. I mean, do you look at the ownership when you're looking at a player to bring in? Most of the time, I don't pay attention to it until they hit sort of 
35% plus. I think below that, you've got to remember, if you think that a guy that's 6% owned, this is the view I always take to it anyway, if you think a guy that's 6% owned is going to outscore a 31% owned player, get the 6% player. However, the caveat here is when you've got a player like Mohamed Salah at 55% ownership and Aguero at 47% ownership, both in great form, in goal-scoring teams with good upcoming fixtures, and they're owned by half the game, I think it's ludicrous to go without them because you're just setting yourself up for a disaster because you know the kind of hauls they can get. And an Aguero hat-trick, and you don't own him, and he's got a 47% ownership, you're going to see your rank absolutely decimated by that. But when you've got players who have, like you look at N'Golo Kante and Ruben Neves at a 23% ownership, and Andrew Robertson has a 20% ownership, that doesn't equate to making Kante and Neves as more essential in your team because they have higher ownership. I think um, it's also a case of risk against reward and how far you want to take it. If you get if you go for an all highly owned player team, you'll find it difficult to pull ahead. But as well as this, you'll find it less likely that you'll fall far behind. So I think you balance how many of your 11 with a high ownership on how much of a risk you want to take on getting a high rank. Yeah, no, I think that definitely makes sense. And you mentioned a couple of examples, Neves and Kante there, which definitely comes to mind whenever the ownership kind of question comes up. I think taking ownership as a cue can sometimes be detrimental. So the curious case of Stephen Ward last year is another example there. Like, you know, he nabbed a golden assist very early on. And he just rocketed up the ownership rankings, didn't he? I think he was above 5.2, 5.3 at the very end. And that's really weird. Like, people were paying over the odds for a defender who basically was doing the exact same job as James Tarkovsky at 4.5 or Ben Mee at 4.5. They were just buying it based on the ownership queue. And that seemed a bit silly to me. I think that you do kind of have different cases for different players. And I agree that on you know, some of the bigger players, you you really do have to own it. Like with kind of Guerra, it's just too damaging to not own them. But you're, you're right that in some places, you've got to be kind of mindful about the fact that maybe they're highly owned for different reasons rather than the anticipation of lots of points. Uh, what do you think, Nick, WGTA Nick? It is worth looking at the ownership, but you shouldn't base your transfers on how owned the pay, how highly owned the player is. I mean, I think a lot. Me and Tom last game week, we both brought in Richardson. Perhaps we were perhaps blinded slightly by the ownership uh, because obviously he was a popular pick. He'd scored in both game week, game week one, and game week two, and you know all the top people in the community seem to own him, and neither of us owned him and we were like we've got to get this guy in of course he goes and gets sent off as soon as we brought as soon as we bring him in but it's the same with Aguero he's now up to 47.3 percent own ownership going without seems like madness but it's quite interesting actually because I had a quick look at Lukaku and his ownership is only 7.6 percent and um, if you are sort of behind the top guys at the moment and you're chasing he might be someone to you know take a punt on considering they've got sort of a poor looking Burnley then they've got Watford Wolves West Ham and Newcastle up next so I know United aren't doing very well in the league at the moment but you know he he does represent a, an option his ownership's actually lower than Rashford's so he could be a, he could be a real differential but I think the idea really should be to combine owning highly owned players the likes of um, Salah and Aguero like we mentioned also Mendy and Alonso in defence who I own and then having a few differentials that if you um, and you just have to hope they bang because those will be the guys that will get you the large green arrow because if you if you own the likes of Salah and you captain him it doesn't 
make too much of an impact on your rank, to be honest. If he, even if he scores a brace, um, a lot of people will be doing the same. The same if you own um, the likes of Aguero. But if you, uh, I've got um, David Silva. He, he's only got six point six percent ownership. I've also got Gilfie Sigerson, who's only got one point five percent ownership, and Van Anhalt with five point seven percent ownership. So if, if Gilfie bangs next week, you know I'm going to be super pleased because he's, he's such a differential. Whilst if um, if Salah scores or Aguero scores, it's, it's more par for the course right now. Yeah, exactly. And I really think that actually uh, I do place a bit more importance on, on ownership than you guys uh, do from, from what you've been saying to some extent. Like I think early doors, especially ownership is so important. Like you're basically building your points base the way I see it at least. Um, and you can then take risks later on in the season, you know, take hits, take gambles with players when you have enough points kind of deposited in the bank almost. And I feel like kind of being, yeah, having one two differentials, of course, is, is where you want to go and having those kind the spicy picks but you know i've seen some teams with you know three or four players maybe four or five players who are very really low owned and i think kind of going differential too hard early doors um is like going all in on the first hand in poker and just relying on the river to get a result for you i think sometimes you do have to kind of be a bit boring is there sometimes that you don't want to um you want to kind of have your kind of sexy two percent own player coming in to say lucas more owners today for example but the majority of the time the high-end players are high owned because especially the more effective ones are high owned because of what they can do and the damage they can do so even though perhaps with richarlison we were blinded by that equally if he'd have scored against bournemouth hadn't got sent off that we'd be looking at ourselves and thinking well that was a great decision that was that was a no-brainer and it's the same with walcott as well i think is it we'll, we'll speak about that in the questions later but i think that's uh, probably a bit of a no-brainer all right and i think just just a quick uh, a quick mention of price as well and ownership i think this is another interesting way that ownership um, is relevant to fpr managers and there's a bit of a misnomer going around that highly owned players are more likely to fall because of their higher ownership the reality is that players higher owned need more sales as a proportion of their ownership and it's all about kind of proportions of ownership which is why a player rises or falls so a good example here is that if one player is owned by 1 million players, which is 18% of the player base near enough, another player is owned by 1,000 players, which is 0.001% of the player base. The threshold for dropping looks like being about 18 to 20%, judging by the delta that FPL stats are using and the progress on fix. Um, so player one um, needs about 180,000 to 200,000 people to sell him to drop. Whereas player two needs just 180 people, 200 people to sell him to um, be threatened with the drop. So it's often the case that the highly owned players are the players that are going to hold their value a little bit better because you need a lot of people to sell. Like sometimes you get players like Angel Rangel uh, that, that suddenly do get sold off on mass and people realise, oh God, why have I got this guy? He's not doing anything. I've just bought him because everyone else seems to have him. Uh, but equally, you do get players who don't do very much and the ownership is quite stable. So a player like Jack Cork last season, 4.5, played every game, 30 out of 38. And the fact is that people knew what he was there for and weren't looking to sell him off straight away. Nick, as the man who tends to be across the market forces, what do you think about price and ownership? Yeah, you kind of summed it up quite succinctly there, Tom, in terms of ownership and prices that if it's a highly owned player, they're not likely to um, and I know some people have talked about it in, in the past when they've been looking at the 4.5 million pound midfielders and the 4.0 million pound defenders saying they're not going to own the most highly owned ones because they're more likely to to fall in price when they don't stop when they stop playing or when they don't play which is completely the wrong way to to look at it and um, going back to ownership you know the likes of Maguire is very highly owned but he may not be in our opinion the best Leicester pick because the likes of Pereira who's 0.5 
cheaper is um showing a little i know Maguire scored which kind of defeats his point slightly but um the likes of Pereira showing more um attacking attacking output currently i pretty much agree i like to um take the risk early on to be honest with price rises i tend to go for that early on in the season like if i've got a move i want to make and if i make it on the the sunday or the monday night and i'm gonna not lose out on 0.1 or 0.2 million i'll probably take the risk because generally I've, I've done that in the past and it rarely has come back to bite me because although we often say, oh, it's a risk to take transfers early in the week, blah, blah, the amount of midweek injuries or problems that crop up are rare, to be honest. And I, I, I just I like to play with a risk in that sense and then go safer with the players that I'm picking and sort of cover off some of the highly owned players and take the risk there. But yeah, one thing I did want to add with um, price and ownership is the 4.5 midfielders at the start of the season. I think this is a point that's often overlooked. People like to have 4.5 midfielders as bench fodder to afford the uh, more premium assets, especially when Salah's costing 13 million. And I think people often think, especially this year, it was quite difficult to choose one at the start. They were like, well, who's going to play? Is anyone, is anyone going to start every week? And then they sort of look at teams selected by old Stevens, 15%, I'll get him in. But then the problem this leads to is when people then start making transfers and changing formations, switching around, 15% have Stevens, his ownership starts to decrease. And it's now, I think I looked 8.7% earlier. And he's at a minus 90% on FPL statistics, possibly going to drop. And this just seems like an easy, unnecessary way to lose 0.1 team value very quickly in the season. I, I personally started with Romeu because I, I thought he was key in the Southampton side and that 2% ownership, I'm not worried about a, a price fall at all there. And now with my transfer this week, I've also got Billing in there at a 0.2 ownership. And I, I'm just happy for them to hold their value. But I think if, if you go for the highly owned ones, you're running the risk of losing team value early on where you're trying to build it elsewhere you're not doing yourself any favors yeah i know but it's still the same case with callum hudson the doy owners isn't it who uh who had did see a fall on their asset the same with you know people who had maitland miles expecting him to be the left back for uh, for arsenal we've taken risks and early transfers a final thing here you know we, we spoke about that in the unwritten rules that often if there is a midweek game i'm inclined to not do it anymore because I mean yeah midweek injuries you know as you saw Kevin De Bruyne they, they don't happen that often but it's a kind of magic you know like as we saw with Charlie Austin it's always your guy who's carried off if, if you've made that midweek transfer I don't, I don't know what it is I think it's maybe it's availability heuristic and I've, I've gotten away with it so many times but the ones that stick in mind are the ones that are really really painful and really damaging and left me to take a minus eight or something like that so uh, caution is advised, but you know if you do want to go early to catch the rises like we have this week, to be fair, um, it always comes with a little bit of risk. Especially around Champions League fixtures, Europa League fixtures, those are those game weeks where I really try and avoid um, making an early transfer. With the League Cup and sometimes in the early rounds, I find it slightly different because I think you'll find a lot of the, the big clubs will actually rotate their their players for the league club and I can't see um, many teams actually playing you know their star players or or the starting 11 that's within my team cool all right uh, let's take a break there then guys and move on to the features section who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and uh, moving on to our feature section now 
Uh, the very first thing to talk about this week is market forces. This is our weekly feature where we use FPL NCI data to describe the movers and shakers in the transfer market. And Nick is the, uh, the man across the numbers. Uh, what's going on this week, Nick? So we're going to start with um, transfers out, actually. And the big talking point is obviously the Richarlison sending off. And uh, unbelievably, 500,000 people have already transferred out Richarlison, which is 10% of the entire community. So that's that's quite a shocking number, to be honest, and shows that I'm not the only one that has uh, made the early transfer in terms of getting rid of him and uh, seeking a replacement. And and like um, like everyone else, it seems um, I've brought in Walcott. Three hundred sixty-five thousand managers have already brought in Walcott as well. So many people doing that straight swap from Richardson to Walcott, getting Walcott in for that kindly Huddersfield fixture at home. It's a very popular pick. Uh, yes, yeah, so lots of people selling Richardson. That's the big move. That's the big move in the market this game week. Otherwise, we've also got Alonso. He's attracting lots of new owners. Over 130,000 people have transferred him in. Um, that's off the back of his... Um, he's already got four assists and a goal. Double figures every game week so far. So he's he's had a really good start for the season. Uh, he's now up to 31.2% ownership. So a lot of people now drafting him in as well. Otherwise, we've also got Pereira. He's been brought in by 118,000 managers. Uh, perhaps... Um, you know, people who are selling Rashad's and bringing him in because he's slightly cheaper than Walcott as well. He's only six point two million pounds, and he's already got three goals to his name. He's had a great start to um, the season with Watford, and if he can stay fit, he could be a really good option. But uh, Watford actually has Spurs at home up next, and Manchester United at home um, in game week five. So they've got a couple of quite tough fixtures coming up. But um, yeah. He's at 9.4% ownership, so still quite a, a differential pick as well. Um, Mitrovic also is uh, being transferred in quite heavily at 8.7%. Have you guys looked at Mitrovic at all? Yes, Mitrovic is second for uh, attempts in the last three game weeks with 11 attempts, six of which have been in the box. He's just one behind uh, Conaguero. And you can kind of understand why people are looking at him and thinking, well, you know, you've got a Zahar score. The score didn't get any bonus on Auschwitz looking a bit injured. And people are looking around that kind of price bracket. Callum Wilson, the other one, but they've got Chelsea next. Mitrovic, Bryson away. Um, people could be thinking, looking at that and thinking, yeah, that, that's worth a buy. I mean, they do have Man City in game week five, mind. So it's not you know, an amazing run or anything that he's about to embark on. But the stats are pretty damn formidable for him. I mean, of the other guys, Alonso, I can understand why that's happening. I mean, obviously, they were two FPL assists, weren't they, rather than a, mm-hmm. a, a legitimate assist uh, against uh, against Newcastle. Uh, but Alonso, again, is topping the uh, the shots for defenders um, in terms of comparing game week one uh, to three last season, where we've got that brace in game week two to game week one to three this season. Uh, Alonso's key kind of area of improvement is distribution and involvement in the game generally. Like he's doing a lot more passing and um, that's reflecting his bonus. He's becoming a bonus-friendly player, which is always really, really nice. So he was top of the BPS. He had nine points before Newcastle scored that goal. So yeah, I, I think for him especially, I put, put a tweet up today, but he's absolutely essential to me. And yeah, I, I can see what you mean about um, about Walcott. I mean, it was 5.4 points per game when he was at Arsenal and did at times cover Sanchez. So if he can get going in that market over team, I think he could be quite good. And what about you, Nick? Are you uh, other Nick? That is, are you looking at uh, Mitrovic or any of these sorts of players this week? Yeah, Mitrovic is firmly on the radar after that performance against Burnley. Admittedly, Burnley haven't been great recently, but Mitrovic, as you say, has been posting the numbers for all three of his game weeks, as well as a goal away at Spurs. Brighton away and Man City away. 
doesn't make it an obvious switch, I think. But I'm stuck with, uh, alongside Aguero, I've got Josh King still. I don't know how he's managed to stay that long in there. And um, Arnautovic. So I think the situation is really going to depend on what was, what happens with Arnautovic because he limped off with, a, I think, muscle injury against Arsenal, having scored. And uh, if he's fit, he stays because I'm a big Arnautovic fan. And um, I want to keep him if I can. I'd, pr- I'd prefer him to Zaha, even with the fixtures. I think Arnautovic is fixture-proof. I think he's a better player, and I'd rather have him. But if he's injured, I would probably move him on for Mitrovic, yeah. And also on Alonso, he was, he's actually been my transfer in this week. So with I've really contributed to these market forces myself because I've transferred <laughs> Richarlison out. He's gone. And uh, Alonso's come in in a shift from uh, 3-4-3 to 4-3-3. So I've sort of switched the budget or the bench fodder between defence and midfield and basically done a swap for minus four of Richarlison to Alonso. Because after after Alonso's second assist went in against Newcastle and I didn't own him, having got something like, I think it's 35 points in three weeks now, I was I was hell-bent on getting him in. And he, I saw that he was going to rise last night. And if I didn't make the move, I would have been priced out of it. I thought, I'm just going to go for it. It certainly makes sense. Alonso is the top scoring FPL player at the moment with 35. Um, I guess other kind of players worth mentioning, Nick, um, in terms of the market forces, Firmino, uh, my, my man or Bamiang mm-hmm. being sold and a few others, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it's definitely a case of easy come, easy go with the forwards. Firmino, he's the second most transferred out player um, with over 60,000 transfers out at this moment in time. And and it's a bit surprising, I guess, because he he didn't blank this game week. He did manage to get the assist for the Salah goal. Um, He got five points. He's got two assists to his name, hasn't yet scored. And you wonder if it's people doing wider shuffles like um, what you talked about there, uh, Nick, because... Obviously, you can only have three Liverpool players and with the likes of Mane and Salah, um, you know, being top performers and a lot of people also wanting to cover the defence in the likes of Robertson or Van Dijk. um, TAA is also a very popular pick. Perhaps people are, you know, shuffling around and and Firmino's the guy who's who's being the full guy um, whilst people are looking at the likes of Mitrovic and uh, Callum Wilson and the other cheaper forwards that have been performing. Uh, like Zaha. I mean, Anatovic is also being sold. He's had over 55 transfers out, but he's got a slight knock. So some people perhaps um, pulling the trigger early there. I mean, for me, um, I think it's a little bit early. I think you should wait to hear a, a bit of news on Anatovic before you sell him. They've got um, they've got Wolves at home up next. And uh, yeah, he might be declared fit. It's very early days. And yeah, your man, Aubameyang's been sold by uh, over 60,000 managers as well, Tom. People obviously uh, have lost patience in him. He's very expensive. He hasn't yet scored um, this season. And, uh, you know, perhaps it's a dangerous move as well because they've got Cardiff away. They've still got a really good run of fixtures. Uh, but, yeah, 11.0 million is quite a lot of money to, to spend on a player who's yet to score. 10.9 now. He's got, gone down. It's gone down after I wanted him to go down, which is very annoying, but I can see why people kept holding him for, for obviously the game. We've got, we've got Cardiff, Newcastle, Everton, Watford, Fulham, Leicester and Crystal Palace to come up. So I'm hoping that a goal happens. I'm hoping that a goal happens pretty damn soon because otherwise I'm going to be looking to sell on as well. Um, I bet you any money the moment I sell on is a moment and he then starts firing. Uh, but yeah, absolutely understood and I can see why people are doing that. 
Okay, thanks, Nick. Uh, let's move on to the second bit, which is our uh, our zombie league. This is where we check on the process of our shambling zombies, which are run, of course, by unspecified family members who live at our address. Uh, this is our no chips, no transfers, no changes league. Anyone violating this will be booted, and many, many have been booted. I think it's about 180 people who can't read, who, who are no longer gracing the zombie league now. Um it's been an interesting week, I think, in the Zombie League. And there are a few people who have done very, very well because they've kind of picked a, an anti-meta, as it were, set of players. Whereas people like me, who also picked an anti-meta set of players, haven't done very well. So just to go first myself, uh, I've ended up with uh, 37 points with uh, Kenny and Duffy coming off the bench for... De Bruyne and Ashley Young, and uh, my captain of Bambiang hasn't done anything. And Ericsson assist and a Firmino assist are the only noteworthy things that have happened this week for my zombie team. So it's not been very good, and uh, it's not been uh, not been shambling along very well. Um, worth mentioning that uh, Gary Cocker, uh, who's currently top of the zombie league, uh, got a forty-seven this week um, with his captain Solara again returning. A couple other things, you know, Robertson, uh, Mendy getting those random two bonus points and uh, Tozen uh, assist also giving him a few more points there. Um, but we'll do a proper kind of update on the Zombie League next week when we kind of record not after the game has just kind of uh, been recalculating. Nick, how do your Zombie team do? Yeah, they did pretty well, actually. Uh, they got 64 points this game week, which is a, a decent wow. return. So, yeah, quite happy with my, my shambling zombies this game week. Um, I've got Harry Kane in my zombie team, and he um, he got me a decent return. I also have Michael Keane, and he got me a 10-point return. But then he uh, also had quite a nasty head injury, so it was kind of, you know, both sides of the coin with him there because he's not going to be back potentially for a little while. Um, so it'll be uh, Anthony Knockhart that gets a run of uh, games in, in my zombie team as, as we have to do a bit of rotation until Michael Keane recovers. But yeah, pretty decent um, clean sheet from the likes of Vatonian. Captain Salah got me a return and they've also got Anatovic and likes of Mendy and uh, Matt Ryan got me four points in goal. So yeah, I'm pleased with my zombies. Though obviously, I'd have preferred my uh, main team to get that sort of score, but you know, um, as, long, as long as the zombies are doing well, it's all good. Okay, shall we move on to the All England team? This is uh, celebrating the Free Lions achievement at the World Cup. And we're running a team from start to finish with solely English players. So how did they do, Tom? Did all right. I think we're going to end up with 52 for the All England team after bonus points are applied. Um, we didn't make any changes this week after a minus four last week. And we were hoping to be on to a massive score after Walker and Sterling. Uh, both started this week after being cruelly benched last week by Pep. But unfortunately, the early Sterling captaincy didn't pay off. Um, Harry Kane, Josh King, uh, Tarkovsky, um, however, did um, manage to manage to score. Uh, Alexander Arnold and Morrison um, both uh, both netted the clean sheet. Unfortunately, Ryan Bertrand, who uh, scored a peach of a goal. Uh, for Southampton this week was uh, was was the third bencher, so there's no chance of him getting on. Um, but next week we've got a couple of changes to make, and I think we might be looking at bringing in Kieran Trippier potentially and having his first triple up going on there. Um, but they're not they're not doing too badly at all. Um, no point really giving a rank at the moment. Uh, probably you know it's about, I think it's about three million or so. Um, but over time, hopefully with these kind of big ticket England players being brought into the side, hopefully we're going to see um, quite a decent. Um, quite a decent ascent for them as uh, time goes on right um and the final thing in our feature section this week is our speaker's corner this is a bit that we offer to every guest they're able to come on and speak for well, one or two minutes about anything which is close to their heart so uh, ffa analyst nick this is your moment 
just thought I'd, um, I'd talk a bit more about the blog. I, I won't bore you with the 30-minute Jose Mourinho rant. We'll save that for another day. But I just thought I'd tell you what we're offering now, what's coming in the future. There's a link to it. It's at the Fantasy Football Analysts. Link to it in my bio on Twitter and FPL Guidance's bio on Twitter. In pre-season, we offered 20 team previews, analysis articles, sort of based performance of newly promoted teams, the effect of World Cup on Premier League minutes, tips articles on squad building. I think that's our most popular article that we've written. And uh, FPL Guidance did the FPL Revival series where we looked at players who had a poor season last year that we were expecting more from and whether we think they can recapture their best form in this season. Currently now we're doing weekly three-part game week previews where we do stat standouts, where we pick four players from the game week who were showing promising stats but didn't necessarily get the FPL returns that they could have done. The Ask the Analysts, which is basically a community questions, and predictions, where we predict the match scores, our captain picks, budget picks, goal scorer challenge, and our analysts 11 at the end. Also, something that we're doing uh, across the season is the FPL experiment. The There's an uh, introduction article on that up on the blog, so if you wanted to check that out in more detail, go ahead. Basically, it's comparing the performance of six different FPL teams each with a different strategy across the season. So there's my team, a back five team, cheap strikers team, which is no striker above a starting price of 7 million, a low maintenance team where kind of similar to the zombie team that you do, but it's uh, not quite as strict. It's only essential transfers. So if someone's suspended or injured, you can make a transfer. Other than that, it has to be left. The template team, which is the team made up of all of the highest owned players and the random team, which spoiler alert, is last. Thank goodness. And uh, this is going to be updated every four weeks or so and sort of tracking the progress over the season. Come the end of the season, we'll do a full analysis of the highs and the lows for each strategy and hopefully provide some strong conclusions. Also, the final thing that we do is the Cardiff match reports because I am unfortunately a Cardiff season ticket holder. Don't know why I punished myself with that. But... (laughs) (laughs) So I'll be doing live analysis reports, mainly focusing on the opponents and their FPL implications, as I don't think Cardiff appear to be in many FPL managers thinking currently, apart from Neil Etheridge, obviously. I think coming soon, FPL Guidance was producing a wildcard usage uh, piece, as well as chip usage, double game week and blank strategy. So check us out, the fantasy football analysts, wordpress.com. Thanks, Nick. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, really good site. Um, like FPL Guidance, we've been friends with for quite a while and uh, Twitter friends with that. Isn't it? Unfortunately, he's, he's a bit too much of a, a man, a mystery to meet in real life. I'm also slightly convinced that Nick and Guidance are the same person. However, um, it's a fantastic site, very well written, very well researched and very well thought and definitely adds a little bit of quality, I think, uh, to, to the mix, which is always kind of welcome, which is why we're very glad to have Nick on for this. All right, uh, let's take a break there then, guys, and move on to the community section. So we're back and it's time to uh, catch up with the Who Got the Assist Mini League. If you haven't joined already, the league code is 516-441. The league is still currently updating. Um, 
because of the uh, slowness of the FPL website this season. But um, up top, it looks like it is Andrew Garland. He's done very well. He got 76 points, which is quite high scoring for this game week. Um, I think his, his main guys were Mitrovic, got him 16 points, which is obviously brilliant. Um, he also had Alonso, Robertson and Mendy in defence, which seems to be the template defence right now. He also had Josh King get him nine points. And of course, Salah captain. So uh, well done there, Andrew. Um it looks like it's uh, Fernando Montanez in second place at the moment. Andrew McKinnon in third place with being Arnautovic and still up there. Um, Lazarus uh, Kalitsis is just with a drink team um, has dropped out. He had um, a sort of box standard week with only 44. But um, yeah, the league's still refreshing. So it might be um, slightly different in 24 hours time. Yeah, no, I'm pulling away yet. It's still kind of, uh, you know, four or five points of them. Uh, they separate the kind of the top three, but, you know, 260, 250 is going to get you onto the first page. Uh, 246, I think, is the, the the lowest score on the first page. So it's still fairly competitive at the moment. And I, I guess we're going to see that continue uh, as the season progresses. Right, let's move on to our questions then. Uh, we've had quite a few this week and really sorry if we got, can't get around to your question. The question is is for Nick, a fanciful analyst. United WGTF, uh, Andy Orr and uh, Daniel Kimrad have asked, why are United so bleep? Wow. How long do you want me to talk for? <laughs> I think how, maybe... how many reasons I could I could write an essay? Oh, uh, I mean, what, I, I just, I don't see any value in owning any Manchester United players in fantasy football. The only one I thought from the start really was De Gea. And now we've just conceded six goals in two matches, one at home and one against Brighton. There isn't really much else I can add. I think uh, the Mourinho didn't get the defenders that he wants. He's he seems to have gone into a bit of a bit of a strop. I mean, there was rumours that he, I think, an insider had said something about him not preparing the players like he used to in previous seasons. He sort of left them a bit more to their own devices, and it just seems like a mess that's going to spiral out of control. If I'm honest, so from a fantasy perspective, I'd I'd be going nowhere near them. It's yeah. depressing as a fan. Yeah, I, I can hear it in your voice. And Mourinho definitely seems a silhouette of a manager he used to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I did the hair very early on, expecting at least, at the very least, Man United to be able to defend, if not able to score goals. And it just seemed like, for whatever reason, the defence is uncoordinated. Yeah, I, I can understand that point, Nick. But I think um, if we talk about FPL for a second, United do have some really good fixtures. Come, things can only get better, can't they? I mean, I think United do have some... Good fixtures. They've got Burnley up next, and Burnley have been pretty poor. Uh, Watford, Wolves, West Ham and Newcastle after that. And uh, it might be the time to to jump on one of those differentials whilst they're um, not very highly owned. Like I mentioned, Lukaku only has about 6.7% ownership at this moment in time. He could be a, he could be a really good differential if, if you're willing to, to take a punt. But yeah, I mean... At, at this stage, I mean, Lingard also 3.4% ownership. But at this stage, yeah, they're, they're not looking too great, are they? Right now, I think we're, we're under pressure. I don't want to be anything to do with any Man United players. If I'm going to take a punt, I prefer to take a punt on literally anyone. I, I mean, he's, he's changed. I couldn't even work out the formation today. Yeah, I, I, I get your point. The fixtures are there. But for me, form over fixtures... And if the fixtures are good as well, then great. But right now, I think there's plenty of other players that we can be punting on. 
Yeah, exactly. And with Burnley as well, Tarkovsky and uh, and Mee's uh, CBI, they've they me thinking, well, we'll block you no matter what you do. So it's, it might be tougher than you imagine, uh, that Burnley fixture. Right, uh, moving on to Richarlison. Uh, obviously, this is a big topic for a lot of people, especially those who didn't go early and tonight, after tonight's performance by Lucas Moura. Uh, FPL Chelsea asked the question on many people's lips. It's, is it Walcott, Mickey, Lucas, Pedro or a another? in for the Brazilian uh, bad boy. Uh, Lee from FPL Family also asked about Lucas, um, as did uh, Leo Hakkinen. Um, an interesting kind of set of characters, I suppose. And sometimes it is kind of about who you have already. And if you if these teams are kind of, quote-unquote, covered uh, with Pedro, for example, because I've got Alonso, who covers Chelsea front and back, um, but I didn't have an Everton player, despite those two very good fixtures, because Richardson's out, Richardson was out of the reckoning, I just thought, well, I'm, I'm just going to shove Walcott in. Um, I just think the the fact the fact that they kind of seem that Marcus Silva seems to be employing Everton in a counter-attacking friendly style and using Walcott's pace is uh, something which is quite a uh, uh, it, it could elicit points at least in the short term. And Everton's fixtures are so good um, until. Uh, I think until game week 10, if Everton have got a very good run of fixtures, only Arsenal game week six away, which is uh, the only kind of slight blip on that horizon. Even after game week 10, they've still got their home fixtures against Brighton in game week 11 and Cardiff in game week 13. So, you know, feasibly, you, you could have whoever, whatever Everton player you bring in now, you could just leave them there for an awfully long time. So it's like a long-term pick, even if we've had to kind of uh, hopscotch across um, from Richarlison to another one. Um, and hope some of you kind of made uh, made a few uh, made a few gains there. I mean, uh, Lucas Moura tonight. Um, I can see how people are considering him. Spurs have got Watford next, and then they've another tricky fixture against Liverpool. But then they've got like a really nice little run between six and uh, six and nine, which is a Brighton, Huddersfield, Cardiff, and West Ham. The only thing to bear in mind is that uh, the Asian games will probably be will end um, by the time the international break ends. Um, so we're probably going to see um, Son battling back into the first team picture um, just before that run of games really starts to kick off. So, you know, there are a few people who moved Lucas Moura who are uh, uh, cursing their luck tonight. Nick, uh, you said you had a little bit of an interesting differential here as, a, as an option, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, we covered the 6.5 million midfielders in, in quite depth last um, last game week. And uh, obviously, Lucas Moura is another option who's emerged. But um, I was also looking at um, Scherder as a as a possible option at £5.9 million. I mean, he scored in the, in the last game week, but he's actually second for goal attempts of, out of all midfielders um, with 11 goal attempts, five of which have been on target. Only Salah has more with 16. So he could be a, a really um, intriguing option. He's only 3.7% owned at this moment in time and, and could be could be a decent differential if you're, you're looking at a slightly um, tighter budget. What do you think, Avanit? Well, I think if I was going the direct route, 6.5 to 6.5, I'd definitely be looking at Walcott. I think, as you say, Lucas Mora, basically I don't like now after tonight. Uh, but as you say, Son will be back soon. And I think it's extremely, extremely knee-jerk. I mean, he's not going to be playing Smalling Jones and Lindelof every week, is he? I mean, that's like heaven for any kind of striker at the moment. But uh, yeah, Walcott, it's worth noting that he had only one goal attempt against Bournemouth at the weekend and he scored from that. But I think if if you're backing Richarlison and Everton, as we were before the red card, I don't see any reason not to back Walcott because he's got to step into those those goal-scoring shoes now and he has already scored two goals this season 
And Richarlison's stats from the first game, I think he only took two shots against Wolves and scored two goals. So it's, it's a similar, very similar situation. I don't see a reason to, if, if you were for Richarlison, there's no reason to really be against Walcott. And as I say, the next two fixtures are as good as it gets. It's Huddersfield at home and West Ham at home, the two teams in the league with the highest expected goals against after the first three weeks. So perfect time to be jumping onto another Everton asset. I mean, people have been talking about Pedro as well, but something just doesn't quite sit right with him for me. I think, although he seems to be the favoured option, I'm always worried about Willian coming in and I don't think that's inconceivable. And even Pedro seems to be coming off on 60, 65 minutes and I, I want my players on as long as possible with the highest probable chance of starting. So if I was choosing between those guys, I'd be going for Walcott. Yeah, but with Walcott, Conegrero and Marcos Alonso, the team's looking very 2016 at the moment, isn't it? All we need is uh, Alexis Sanchez to start firing and some, and Harry Kane as well, indeed. And suddenly we've we basically got the team we had at the start of the 2016-17 season. And yeah, I, I, I think mine's, mine's even worse, Tom, with Gilfie Sigerson and David Silva also making oh up the numbers. Very old school. Yeah, like a retro team. I mean, the other one to mention quickly is, is Mkhitaryan. Um, Mkhitaryan, um, I backed him quite heavily uh, on the last pod and obviously then he did nothing um, in the in the game watching the game he has an unfortunate tendency to assist the assister or assist the assisting assister uh, which is a very annoying in the last game he created no chances um, so he is in the top six I think it is for chances created amongst the, uh, amongst midfielders at the moment but bear in mind that in the last game which was the so-called easier one he didn't do anything uh, in terms of uh, in terms of that so a little bit frustrating I'm just gonna I've got to hope that he and Nobamiang are gonna click soon but I'd still be kind of watching and waiting a little bit on that. If he's not able to return in a game like West Ham, then maybe you've got to be thinking, well, maybe I'll look somewhere else. Maybe I'll look at Walcott, for example. The fixtures are there. Moving on then uh, to the power defence. Uh, Der Hammer asks about this, and it's kind of a, a bit of a combined question here because there's a lot to talk about. But we've seen three weeks of defender value, and we're seeing an Alonso Mendy. Robertson power back free and uh, maybe paired with uh, Edison or something in goal. Der Hammer and Tom Bartley ask if we endorse this kind of free man power defence approach and has the game changed, do we really think? Nick, you were propagating the power of the back line all through preseason, and I jumped on with you and I'm quite glad that I have, frankly. What's your view on this? Well, I felt that the game was really changing what with um, teams lining up with more wing backs, the likes of Chelsea, when they started playing with five at the back um, and two wing backs, you know, really attacking players like Alonso and Moses, um, doing really well last season. These guys just looked so much better than their sort of midfield counterparts who were the same price. I, I kind of jumped on that bandwagon quite early. And, and you're seeing it this season as well, the likes of Mendy, even though they're only playing sort of four at the back. He's he's been he's been so aggressively forward in all, all three games and he's creating so many crosses, creating so many chances, as much as an attacking winger would be expected to create. And and the same with the likes of Robertson, he's getting forward, creating loads of chances. And I think I think definitely like putting money in your defence, investing heavily in your defence you know, you've got the Spurs guys as well, Kieran Trippiers. He's making a case for perhaps being in our teams. What with a goal and an assist and a clean sheet, he's on twenty-two points. And even even some of the players from the, the sort of the lower reaches, as we call them, um, without trying to be offensive, the likes of you know Holabaz is is on twenty-four points for Watford, and uh, Patrick Van Anholt's always a very popular pick. I've got him in my team as well. So you are seeing you are seeing fullbacks um, seemingly creating as many chances 
chances as their midfield counterparts. And um, yeah, I definitely think there is a case for investing more heavily on de- in defence as opposed to these these forwards. You know, you've got the likes of Murata. You know, no one's looking at him. He's just overpriced and he's not doing anything. You've got the likes of Aubameyang blanking. Um, you've got Lukaku as well, not not doing too great. You know, these very expensive forwards that you know just aren't worth their money in comparison with their with the defenders um, from the same teams. What would you say, Nick? Would you say that the game's changed though? Would you say you know FPL is different to how it was? Has, has football changed in the Premier League? What with um, more attacking fullbacks? I think I think the football in the Premier League's definitely changed in the last few years. I think. Uh, Antonio Conte brought in this wing-back system. They've moved back to the four now with um, Sarri, but Alonso still got his attacking traits, as you mentioned, and Wolves have come in using this wing-back system as well. But I, d- I don't know if we can say that fantasy football's changed yet. We've got three weeks of data to base it on. And I remember this situation happened last year. We had, I think it was after the similar sort of length of time, three or four weeks, and lots of people going all four or five at the back. They were talking Alonso... Ben Davis, I think Kolasinac at one point as well. And everyone was going, oh, yeah, let's let's go wingbacks. And then the trouble is after two or maybe three weeks of the clean sheets start to dry up, they're not getting the attacking returns when they're not getting the clean sheets. People start to think, what am I doing? And then there's people scoring and then you move it back to the 3-4-3 three, three or the 3-5-2. So I personally do like the idea of a back four or a back five because I think that the 6.5 and six defenders offer better value than the 6.5 and six midfielders. But I want to see a bit more data and a bit more consistency first before I move to that approach. That definitely makes sense. I mean, uh, what what is a little bit different, I guess, is that you've got Alonso, Robbo and Mendy, who all look pretty damn integral to their team's attacking fortunes in a lot of ways. I mean, Nick, you mentioned uh, WGTA, Nick, you mentioned Trippier. I mean, rotation, I think, just stops the Spurs players from being on that same plane. I think they are a cut below and there is a little kind of, there's always going to be that nagging doubt, despite the fact that they can do when they're on the pitch. I mean, Davis and Tripp created the most chances, didn't they, last season amongst defenders. So in terms of time on the field, they're going to return for you. But you you may see, you know, what Ben Davis went through, uh, tonight when he only played for 10 minutes so that could equally happen I mean a few people have asked us how essential Alonso is for example a lot of people do have Mendy and Robertson from the early kind of doors and they're looking at bringing Alonso in for you know minus four or minus eight um, Tommy Gonzo and Omar Sharif asked, you know, how essential is it that I get Lonzo in right now? Uh, I think that, that that's an interesting kind of splinter question on this because he's gone over the first percent ownership. Those fixtures, I mean, we spoke about the Everton fixtures, but the fixtures for Chelsea are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, they've got Bournemouth at home, then Cardiff at home, and then uh, West Ham away. Um, so three defences that are probably right for the taking. And now, uh, Nick, you've written off uh, Morata. He's no doubt going to fill his boots. But, I mean, if you didn't have Alonso, guys, would you be looking at bringing him in now uh, and making sacrifices such as a minus eight? Like, how important do you think he is to be bringing him? I think a minus eight is probably a little bit excessive. But I think if you're, you're minus fouring or it's a free transfer, definitely. He, I think, he, did you say he's hit 30% ownership now? That's the point where I start to... Like we were talking with ownership earlier, that's that's when they really get on my radar. And I was a non-Alonso owner a couple of days ago, and I've rectified that. And I think that sums up my view perfectly. I think Bournemouth, Cardiff at home, West Ham at way. If you're going to jump on a highly owned player, that's the time to do it. Because 
Cardiff are not scoring against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And it's likely that if Bournemouth, Bournemouth might. and um, But even if Bournemouth do, Alonso is easily capable of a couple, another couple of assists, a goal, two goals, anything. And when a guy's in that form, he's the top point scorer in the game. You, I just, I don't see why you would be going without him with those fixtures coming up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with Alonso, he can give you clean sheets, he can give you assists, he can give you goals. He, he's essentially got everything that you want and he only costs about 6.6 million or 6.7 now. So, you know, he, he's super cheap and he's worth investing in. I mean, the thing about him is you don't need to take the minus eight because he isn't that expensive. It's not like Harry Kane. If Harry Kane scores a hat-trick, you might have to take a minus eight. You might have to rip your your team apart to to fit him in. But with Alonso, you shouldn't have to do that. It it shouldn't stretch you too much to to fit him into your defence. And I think it is worth getting him in if you don't have him. Yeah, and if you just watch the Chelsea games, just look at the positions he's in. It's the same with Mendy and the same with Robertson. Like they're in such good positions that, you know, if the ball does come their way, you do have a good chance of getting points out of that game, even if they've conceded. As we saw with Alonso, two FPL assists. Yeah, most people are saying that's unsustainable. Of course, it probably is. But a player having multiple point streams is everything that you want, as Nick's just said, which is absolutely brilliant. So that's uh, that's the end of our questions. Um, there's a theme to every pod. Last week it was Outcast and uh, Andy Goodland again got that theme first. Well done, Andy. What are we uh, what are we doing this week in terms of transfers and captains then? Nick, what are you doing first? So I'm actually thinking about switching up this game week. I'm going to be captaining Aguero instead of Salah. So Aguero has Newcastle at home, and I think that's just a great fixture for him. Salah's got the tougher fixture away to Leicester, so Aguero will be my captain. Um, In terms of transfers, I've already made a move um, for Walcott. I might take a hit. It depends. It depends on the Nautovic news, really, to be honest. How about you, Nick? What are you doing this game week? Yeah, like you, I've I've made the moves early. Richarlison down to Billing and Peltier up to Alonso for minus four, switching me to a four three three. Keeping tabs on the Arnautovic situation, but sort of undecided what to do with him yet. I don't think I really want to stretch to a minus eight right now. So either Arnie's fine and he stays, or Wambasaka comes in and we've got a back five. That's what he's there for, really, Wambasaka, isn't he? He was hoping he comes back. I mean, after Joel Ward's. Uh... Big miss at the end of the Palace game and the Roy Hodgson looking sad memes. I'm fairly sure he's going to want some joy from from the one uh, next week. Um, I, I'm I'm actually going to do five at the back. I think uh, I'm going to do it just just for the novelty value of it being the first time I've ever done it in FPL, which is obviously not a reason ever to do anything. But that's that's why I'm doing it because I'm just mental. You know, playing five three two is always a little bit of a, a little bit of an excitement, I suppose. Um, so we'll have to see. Yeah, five at the back. That's that's going to be interesting, Tom. Um, you'll be you'll be uh, watching the three o'clock kickoffs very intently at the eighty fifth minute. Just probably seeing all all those clean sheets uh, disappear. Yeah. That's that's the that's the problem with lining up with too many defenders. Oh, it can be horrible, quite it? painful up until those last few minutes. Um, yeah. Seeing those cleanies go, but yeah, um, best of luck. Just to say who we are as, as usual, we are Who Got the Assist. You can find us at whogottheassist.com on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL. Yeah, and if you want to join our mini league, it's still open. It's 516-441. Uh, we've been joined today uh, by Nick from uh, FF Analysts at Analyst underscore Nick on Twitter. Thanks so much for your time today, mate, and coming on. Thanks very much for having me. Really enjoyed it. Cheers. 
very good on his uh, debut Maiden podcast performance. We'll be back next week in game week four, but we hope this assisted you in the meantime. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. See ya. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.